Hi, and welcome to the Silver Screen Queens podcast. Every week, we watch a movie and sit down here to talk about it. I'm Mel. I'm Katie. And we're your hosts. This week, we watched War Games, directed by John Badham and released in 1983. So, War Games, the plot. A young computer whiz kid accidentally connects into a top-secret supercomputer, which has complete control of the, the U.S. nuclear arsenal. It challenges him to a game between America and Russia, and he innocently starts the countdown to World War Three. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a really cool little 80s movie that neither of us had ever seen. Which is surprising because I've seen a lot of 80s movies. Hmm. Like most of the 80s kids, teen genres I've seen. Right, and this is definitely in that because it's um, Matthew Broderick and Ali Sheedy. Right, Ferris Bueller and Alison from The Breakfast Club. I know, and it's kind of a bit sci-fi. Yeah. We thought we'd have seen it, but we hadn't. It's not – it's only – Sort of sci-fi. I mean, all the hacking sort of stuff. I mean, it, it's I hand was, wavy, but it's yeah. probably stuff that they could do around then. Well, see, it seems to be real, based on real tech. Yeah. So I was trying to classify it, and we found it because we were digging around on Netflix, and we saw fantasy and sci-fi, and we we're like, "This is where we live." <laughs> um, so it was probably classified as sci-fi, but it's just—it's kind of technical. It's not sci-fi. No, I think it was actually wasn't it the sci-fi sense. action sci-fi adventure category. Or was it fantasy? Probably something like that. It was probably it recommended kind of fantasy, for me. Sort of. Yeah. I mean, it's not exactly the real world, but yeah. No, but it's cute. But I love those those genres that were recommended for you. One was like critically acclaimed cerebral indie drama. That's from when we watched <laughs> The Fountain. Thank you to whichever listener recommended The Fountain to us. As Andrew. Andrew, yes. But, so yeah, that's why. That's why I have cerebral movies. And then also action, sci-fi, comedies. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was really fun. Um, mm. Matthew Broderick is, like, four in this movie. He's 21. No, no, no. He's he 20. looks – his face oh, yeah. looks like he's about 15, He looks 16. like – yeah, he looks really young. He looks – at some point I wrote down the words – one Direction Matthew Broderick. He's got this hair <laughs> that is quite long and comes in his face a bit. And I got this boy band, like current day boy band vibe from him. Yeah, he's pretty – he's very young. Like, he's just adorable. But then, you know, Ali Sheedy's really young in it too. Yeah. But it just doesn't strike me as much as Matthew Broderick looking they're, so young. The thing that gets me, they're both 21 and they were like playing teenagers for a few more This was came out in 1983 and mm. they were playing teenagers definitely for a few more years after this. Well, the this. thing is Matthew Broderick still looks like a teenager when he made Ferris Bueller. And I think Ferris Bueller is 87, which is four years later. Mm. And at that point, he looks like he could be about 17 right. or 18. At this point, he looks like he's like in his mid-teens. He and now he's so what, like in his early 50s and he looks, yeah. he's got this little baby face. Yeah, so... They're adorable in it. Ali Sheedy is like the girl version of Josh Brolin in Goonies in this movie. You constantly see her exercising in like leg warmers. She's doing aerobics in her house and she's running past his house and it's so cute. Yeah, <laughs> she's pretty cute. They do this thing. It's one of those like 80s things where everybody has to have like an, a main character trait. Just the one main character trait. Yeah. But it has to be like their defining character trait. So for, you know, Josh Brolin and Ali Sheedy, clearly it was being athletic. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess Matthew Broderick's character has nerdy. Yeah, exactly. Computer guy. He's, a com he's a computer whiz kid. Mm -hmm. He's not nerdy, though. Those other no, two guys, sorry. he goes to this computer lab later and there's those other two guys and one of them is like the classic nerd. Like that dude off The Simpsons classic. Right. Nerd. There was, yeah, she, he goes to a computer lab and there's comic book guy. And then there's the guy who actually played Eugene in Greece. Sure, that's that's yeah. who that guy is. Who's like skinny with the glasses and he talks in this really high pitched voice. The nasal kind of, voice. Na yeah, nasal, sorry. The kind of nerd we haven't seen in a long time. Because this. 
ridiculous it's, yeah. stereotype. It, it, this was back before nerdy nerdiness became cool. It's the guy cool. on The Simpsons, the one, the, the one. Professor Frank. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. So there are these kind of stereotypes of nerds that don't really exist. Yeah, ha- I had to. You have to work really hard to remember that the arcade games are actually original and not like, oh my god, how awesome these old arcade games. Well, one of them, the one that he was playing was Space Invaders, yep. and it was called something else. I mean, it was essentially yeah, there were Space clearly co- copyright, but issues. um, and but the but not quite as cute as him calling up all of right. the places he's hacking into, right? And, and he, having he, his he, little phone. Well, he he, you just forget how easy life is now that we have the internet. But all he had was like an ad in a magazine, and he had a city in California, and he had to phone up the local city and get them to look up the directory for him and like it was really complicated the, the kind of way and he called all of the numbers called in Sunnyvale. all of the yes, sunny vale not <laughs> sunny dale had to hit, it was this kind of things that we just you've sort of forgotten that you used to have to do yeah it's and there's this great part where he's researching falcon who's the guy who yep. made the computer who was played by a guy called john wood which took me a minute because there's that famous australian actor yeah um but yeah so he goes to the library and he has the little index card yeah, he gives to the he, card catalog and he's got a microfiche that and he, he he's reading at. and this gets me because he's reading an article from the atlantic on his microfiche and yeah. i'm like oh the atlantic was a was in paper once Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's it's really, really like amusing when he has to do all the sort of old school. But, you know, it, it does show that he's smart. He's also kind of a little shit. Like at the beginning of the movie, there's this thing where he's he gets an F because he skips class all the time mm. to do hacking. And then he decides he doesn't deserve an F. So he hacks in to change his grade. Right, which is- and then he and then Ali Sheedy's there with him. I can't remember her character name to save myself. Mm. Actually, I can't remember either of their character names. Maybe I'll just call them Ferris and Allison. So Ali Sheedy is there and he's like, oh, I changed my grade. Do you want me to change yours too? And she says no, because it seems like she might have some morals. Then she goes back the next day and says, hey, change my grade. Um, which he's I suppose already is, done it anyway. Which he's already changed to an A because that's not exactly noticeable, right? Right. He changed his own grade to a C because, you know, it's, it's like the teachers would never check. But also this. This comes back to my thing about people hating people who cheat on their homework, which we discussed <laughs> a few weeks ago with um, Killer Darlings because I'm – competitive and work hard and I don't like when people don't but he's online trolling for games that's the reason he gets into this yeah but the thing that gets me is that like I don't mind trolling for games whatever but the thing that gets me when he when she says no don't change my mark is he's so completely like shocked by this concept that somebody could have a moral objection to cheating like he's completely surprised Mm -hmm. that she might not want him to do it and I was like really really you, it didn't occur to you that maybe it's not the right thing to do no. at any point mm. and yet like later on he seems to have some morals that kick in but still yeah he's not he he's just like that for a, a bit because he seems he once he figures out what he's done he, he doesn't want to get caught but at the same time he wants to stop it too like he's well, not I quite like not that scene where kid. they talk about how there's not going to be time to be sorry yeah that was quite a nice little line um, mm-hmm. After everything, like after they they've tried to get Falcon to help them, mm-hmm. and then they're on this little island, and and he's like, "I wish I had learned how to swim," which is kind of ridiculous. But then he also says, "I wish that I was not the person who had done this," and then mm. um, there wouldn't be time to be sorry for things and stuff. And that was pretty cool. I quite liked how it was all sort of put together. It's kind of a tech-based movie, but it is really very much in the physical world. Mm. Um, We have, I think the first act is basically in his little town. Second act, we're we're at NORAD, which is, it seems to be- He's in Seattle, isn't he? He's in Seattle. Yes, sorry. That little town. Little town. His (laughs) suburb. The the American suburb of 
like movie movie, movie lore slash TVs. It always seems like a small town because it's this little street with lots of leaves and these big houses and everybody knows you. It, it always feels like a small town even though it's probably suburbia of a big city or meant to be. Anyway, yeah, so we sent, spend the first part in his little town, Seattle, which is um, – we know it's Seattle because we have like a 30-second establishing shot. They yeah. refer to it a lot too, yeah, actually. They, they, they talk do. about them being in Seattle quite right. a bit. Uh, yeah, and they're obviously shot in the Pacific Northwest as most things do. They're probably shot in Vancouver, I guess. And then we go to NORAD, and NORAD is under Cheyenne Mountain, which to me is where Stargate is. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I, th- I think the U.S. government really does have something underneath Cheyenne Mountain in Colorado. Mm. But I, I don't know. Anyway, we go to NORAD. Yeah, the only movie I can really compare that going to NORAD to is um, Doctor Strangelove. Well, because they keep bringing up that they, it's the war room and every time they mention it's the war room, I'm like, gentlemen, you can't fight in here. This is the war room. Well, they even <laughs> call it out with that guy who's running through the war room and they say, you can't run in here. Somebody could get hurt. That's right. That was hilarious. Because yeah, he's he's running to try and stop them setting off bombs that will kill 20 million people. Yes. Yeah. And then he's talking about Right. And so, these, that so great. That he was a good comes line. up against the US military and this is like the yeah, these are the most buffoonish military I've seen since such Doctor hicks. Strangelove. They're all hicks in this movie. Like everybody, there's that one guy who's a real, real southern hick. Yeah, right. like, I think he's like cigar sniffing and 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 some really, really funny, strange non sequiturs. Um, I, oh, did you write down the one, the really funny line that he said? There was one uh. that was a, such an odd line. There was a bit, to be fair, for me, there was a chunk in the middle that I lost interest in. Yeah, me too. A bit when they were at the base and they brought Ferris Bueller to the base Mm. and he was like, they were all, you know, treating him like crap, obviously, because he was a little shit hacker who has nearly, you know, destroyed the world. But there's this whole section where he escapes from the base and then they cut between that and everybody trying to work out the problem. And I'm like, I'm so not interested in this part. I actually didn't mind that bit. I totally tuned out. Oh, maybe it was after that. It was a lot of stuff in the base that oh, okay. I tuned out of. He they they were there for a long time. Yeah. There's a lot of it's kind of a little double cross and he gets out and he somehow he manages to escape and gets out with a tour group because apparently Norad takes tour groups. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and it's such a big joke to them. There's like there's one part where they get one of the tourists to press a button mm. and some sirens go off and he's like, Oh no, you blew up New York and she's like, Oh my god, what? And he's like, Ha ha just kidding. Right. There's some interesting stuff about the timing of this movie because it's in the 80s. So Cold War is technically still going on. Mm-hmm. But the whole like 1950s and 60s, oh, my God, the Russians are going to bomb us thing has kind of probably starting to die off a bit by this point. And so mm-hmm. I think they they actually feel like they can make a bit of a joke about it. It's a, very much a movie of its time. Like they just sort of aren't actually taking the whole nuclear thing as seriously as they should. Right. But I mean, it's always a, it's a really, really fun, interesting exploration of a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you know, high concept 80s movie, what if a yeah. kid accidentally um, started World War Three or right. something like that. But it's a really cute sort of, they take that through to its inevitable end and they explore some ideas within that. And it's yeah. quite cool. What kind of kid would do that? And what would be the result of that? And what, who, how would they manage that? Like with the games that the the mm. computer plays, and then I like the tic tac toe solution mm. that they have, right. um, where Ferris Bueller gets the computer to play tic tac toe with itself, and it discovers that it can never win, and that's how it figures out that it can't win the game of yeah. total like world um, winning World War Three. Yeah, what's the game called? Nuclear something. Oh, it's it's complete thermonuclear destruction. That's it. Interesting to look at. Uh, nuclear stuff and the way it all runs and there's there's a whole lot of themes in there that run through like 
a strong distrust of machines where we open we have this great opener which stars um, Michael Madsen and Leo from the West Wing <laughs> where they are two guys who live on this remote base probably in Alaska or somewhere which is a nuclear missile silo and their mm. job they're the two guys who if the president punches in the nuclear launch codes they have to launch the missile now we we have this really well done incredibly tense opening scene where for whatever reason on their shift these the nuclear launch codes come through and they've got to launch the missile mm. and they don't launch it because um leo yeah. john spencer's character is you know he has a conscience he's like no I, I need to talk to someone on the phone i need to double check that this is the correct order before i blow up 20 million people in northern russia and and Michael Madsen pulls a gun on him because right. he's Michael Madsen. Exactly. And so you get to do that whole thing where you examine the culture of the military, where you just follow orders. And then this leads us into a conversation with the military people of, well, maybe we should just make it all automatic. And so if the president gives the order, then a computer is in charge of you know, turning the key and letting the missile off. And Yeah, but the computer seems to have the personality of a child because of the whole Falcon right. lost his son thing. And so the the, com- the only computer we've got, yeah, is this AI that was invented by this Professor Falcon who, who plays these war games and then you've got this big examination of the way a computer would think very literally and can only respond, you know, it doesn't, doesn't apply any judgment the way a human right, would. Right, but the AI learns. Yeah, that's yeah the, the AI, that I, and that's AI. the whole point. It does, it does eventually learn, but... Where we starting where we start off is in a kind of really weird world where we mistrust computers, but you're expected to act like one in terms of always obeying the orders that you get. Mm. Yeah, but then there's also the um the really fun, super optimistic Falcon who when they find him is like, Oh, it's gonna be nuclear war. Whatever, that's inevitable anyway. Hey, c- let me tell you cool stories about dinosaurs and fly my fake pterodactyl around. Right. Yeah. Like, what? what is I wrong loved with that you? part. That was like my favorite part of the yeah. whole movie. That cracked me up with the whole when they went to him and he was all like, "Look, dinosaurs! Oh, the world's ending. Whatever." Yeah, <laughs> I know. Great. Yeah, he was a he was great fun, and and he's like he's been away from society for ten years. Well, yeah, they, and they faked his death. Yeah, he faked his death. He's just he lives on his own. He's lost his family. He's got this whole oh, I don't care which about you pretty anyone. Pretty much knew he had faked his death as soon as we saw him on TV at the yeah. beginning. But still. <laughs> Yeah, that was fun. And I like that Ali Sheedy had a crush on him. Mm. That was cute. She was like, he's so cute. He's so handsome. That mm. was great. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, he was. That was my first thought when I saw him. I was like, he's pretty cute. Clearly, you both have a uh, type, a nerdy type. <laughs> Clearly. <laughs> I, I thought know. that was the reference there when she was like, he's cute. It was obviously a reference to she likes nerds and yeah, therefore yeah, she's yeah. going to end up with Matthew Broderick. I- and their whole she was going to end up with cute. Matthew Broderick because she's the only girl in the movie. She, no, it's not, no, entirely, it's not true. entirely true. There's a black woman. She's his only friend, though. Like, it, yeah. There's a black woman to fit the um the criteria. Yeah, you have to have at least one black woman in '80s movies, which isn't true anymore. Which is kind of sad, no. I think. I think they should have those rules back. About I, we totally have talked about this before, by the way, about how people were a lot more open to this kind of stuff back back then than they are now. Nowadays, yeah. it's very people are all like oh, it's gone yeah. backwards yeah, in yeah, terms yeah. of racism and sexism and stuff in the movies mm. and then they have mm. another woman who's the assistant to somebody and also Ferris's mum yep who we've got to find out what his actual character name is yeah yeah um, hang on you talk about Ferris's mum and I'll go on so IMDb they, his parents um he re- makes reference to them both being to them both working with this you know huge radical notion that parents work um and then they make a big deal out of out of it of course is that 
there's the implication that basically because his parents work, they're not good parents. Yeah, mum's neglecting the family and right. dad's like... Dad's, and dad's, dad's just kind of a buffoon. He right. smokes his cigars and smears butter all over his uncooked corn because mum, of course, can't cook because she works. Yeah, that's right. And she's not looking after dad properly because that's why he's got to smear butter all over everything. Right. Yeah, so the characters' names, um, Matthew Broderick's David, Ali Shetty's Jennifer. Oh. They're really boring names, right? I'm going to stick with Ferris Bueller. Then. Yeah, no, Ferris and Ali is way better. <laughs> yeah. And and Ali Sheedy gets to play a different sort of role to what she often yeah, plays. Yeah, really different. Like, um, She often plays like awkward outsidery roles and in this one she's the popular girl. Right. Yeah, if you've seen her in um, uh, Breakfast Club, this is quite different. It's yeah. good. Mm. Which I thought was fun. Yeah, it's yeah. nice to see her do something different. That's I like right. the way she walks so that her hair bounces. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> she has so much hair in this movie too and it bounces with every step that she takes. Yeah, yeah. It's great. Um, There's a way yeah. you can do that. It's like it's not hard. Yeah. I think this was a fairly conservative movie. Yep. I don't think that's really pushing the boundaries well, to say it was conservative. No. Well, I mean, it, it sort of – it's – yeah, it's got that deep mistrust of technology, but at the same time, it's also got a healthy disrespect for the military, military-industrial complex, and I, yeah, kind of. But I mean, arsenal. there's the parents thing as well, and and right. the gender roles and all that. Sort yeah, of stuff. so it's got some conservative um, social values there. Yes, but I suppose it does. Have it's a- it's kind of Hollywood progressive in that it it doesn't um, question, make it, ask any difficult questions about gender or race or disability, but. It's Hollywood progressive in that it's anti-war, anti-Reagan, particularly anti-Reagan. There's a f- because of course it's set during the Reagan presidency. There's a photo of the, of President Reagan next to the DEFCON indicator. <laughs> I didn't notice that. <laughs> yeah, he's got this little smiley face right next to where they go from DEFCON. Wait, how does DEFCON go? It goes five down to one is the worst. Yeah, yeah. that's it. Um, yeah, so there's it's got that sort of Hollywood progressivism. It's also got all those w- brilliant shots of Joshua the computer um, over and over and over again. They do these establishing yeah. shots and they do really long ones too. It's this really long shot all the way around the computer so you can see all the blinking lights and then it's playing a game and then you cut to something mm. else and then they go back to the computer again, which I thought was just... Like, I guess they had a cool prop and wanted to show right. it off or it something. Was a cool, but... It was a pretty cool prop. It was called Whopper. Like, it's well, it, the computer's name, yeah. the box itself was called Whopper. W-O-P-R. I think that's, no, that's the, um, the organization that they're under, I believe. No, they're in NORAD. No, no, no. They're NORAD, but then they're Whopper oh, within Whopper NORAD is, and then Joshua right. is the computer. But they're doing that deliberately because they're um, it's making fun of the military and yeah. its fondness for abbreviations and acronyms and stuff like that. It's and guys who don't actually know what's going on. <laughs> right. Because exactly. there's like, there's a sort of concept that like one branch doesn't know what – one hand doesn't know what the other hand's doing. Yeah. And the military guys and the scientists who work on the same base and are working on the same stuff won't listen to one another. And the military guys have very little respect for the scientists. There's a, yeah. a bunch of stuff like that. I forgot. There's also another woman in the movie who's pure – like whose purpose is just to get hit on by that guy so that oh, they can cause a distraction. Oh, the nurse when he, yeah yeah they lock him up in some medical room and there's this like awkward flirting mm. icky scene that I didn't like very much. It was it was that's really... part of, part of why I think I tuned out at that. Yeah, part. it was really um like it it wasn't very plausible. It, 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 he he just walked up and said some stupid line and she. Huh? Well, I don't think so. She was like, "Oh, go away, stop it," but then was yeah. It was, it was icky. I it didn't was like not it. very plausible anyway, but it was just there to create a distraction for it. It had great score. Yeah, really cool. It was um kind of Captain America marching band, all American kind of it idea. It was kind of like that, but like there was this twist to it that was like mm. 
that underscoring that they were making fun of that. Yeah, there was um, was in the score. It was very cute. Right, but and um, yes, very much American and making fun of America stuff because you you catch a bit of Western style yeah. scoring in there as well, and a little bit TV. I, I have a fit, the Western style scoring was when that that um cowboy guy was on the screen. Yeah, the, yes. the very yeah, southern he guy. He had a little. He yeah. had his own little theme music. Right, that was very Western exactly. Style. It was very. Western. And then when you saw Ferris Bueller, and there was like a more futuristic techno sort of vibe to the score. So yeah, yeah. It was really right. well, really well written score. I thought it was terrific. Mm-hmm. Yes, I, I really liked the score as well. I thought it was just a really good, well put together little movie. Like it was good yeah. fun. It was it was very enjoyable. I had lots of fun. Yes, watching me it. too. It was it was just a like a fun movie. I'm I'm kind of a bit sad that it had, nobody's ever heard of it. I'd heard of it. I hadn't even heard of it. I'd heard of it lots and lots of times. It gets referenced a lot, uh, you know, because it was kind of a, a pioneer movie in a certain kind of idea, and so people reference war games a lot when right. they talk about. Um, of the course. whole yeah. kids and the apocalypse and that sort of thing. Right. Um, and sometimes with nuclear war and and games and that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Video games, that sort of stuff. So yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. That's what I mean. The concept of it is really interesting. Yeah. Um, and I've seen a lot of references to it and stuff. I just hadn't mm. ever gotten around to seeing it before. Also, I thought Leah Thompson was in it instead of Ali Sheedy, and I don't know why. Don't. Know. Well, <laughs> the, one of those things. The I guess. principal from um, Back to the Future does show up. Yes, he was in it. I I just thought she was the girl. I thought she was Ali Sheedy's role, and I don't I don't know yeah. where I got that from. It was just in the back. They're of They're both my head. so young looking. If you just seen the poster or something, you might not actually recognise them. <laughs> they do look really young. They're such babies. It's adorable. Plus, Ali Sheedy has her popular hair. <laughs> well, like popular girl hair. Yeah, popular yeah. girl hair, as opposed to some of the other roles she played. Right. I think out of a lot of the actresses of that era, she's definitely one of the most more interesting ones. Yeah. In that she. There's no sort of stereotype that she played. She played so many different things. Yeah. Um, her roles were really, really different in the different sort of 80s movies she was in, mm. um, which I think is neat. Is Whereas, neat. like, Molly Ringwald yep. is very charismatic but basically only played one role. Right. Yeah. Um, she was the the girl, the same girl in, in – Yeah, she was – I agree. I yeah. mean, she was actually quite different. So in Breakfast Club she was the princess and then in – Pretty in Pink, she was from the girl from the wrong side of the tracks, and then in Sixteen Candles, she's the girl who everybody forgot her birthday. But she's still essentially the same character in all of those movies. You know, there's yeah, a very yeah. similar sort of vibe to her. Whereas Molly Ring, uh, whereas Ali Sheedy is really different in all of her. She's had roles. a quite a diverse career. Like she, even now when she pops up, we were just talking before about how she pops up on Psych at one point. She yeah. really does a lot of different stuff. She was a great bad guy on Psych. Hmm. And then she played a lesbian recently as well. Oh, really? In something. Cool. I don't remember what it was. <laughs> I just remember that I've seen that somewhere. I feel like I have too. I, I don't know either. Yeah. I don't. But yeah, she's she's an interesting, mm. and she has an interesting look about her and stuff, which I like. Mm-hmm. Um, slightly different to, but then again, in the 80s, people did look different. <laughs> they they looked a, different. Well, you know, there's like a different, they, they went for a different aesthetic in movies. Yes. Um, which is something I've noticed. Like, it's it's a funny sort of thing too because movies, some of the movies made around that time are really beautiful yeah. and then there's a whole lot that look kind of grainy this and one, it's, almost like, an aesthet- it's mm, almost like an aesthetic choice deliberate, that a yeah. whole bunch of them are that kind of yeah. grainy, gritty look. This actually looks – it's a bit like um, from a similar era that we watched recently, Evil Dead, in that it, it actually looks really good. I think it's been cleaned up. The print, mm. Maybe we, we saw a print that had been cleaned up. It, it looks – 
quite good. It's not deliberately grainy or anything like that. It's I got the idea that it was very naturalistic is how I would describe it. I got the idea that there was a lot of shooting in natural light. There's a bit where they're going on a boat to the island and it's really obviously natural light and I think they were losing the light. It's st- The sun's starting to set a bit. I thought and- that was like a – I mean, they did this whole yeah. silhouette thing on purpose. In yeah, that yeah, part. it was deliberately done. But there was a lot of attention to shooting in quite naturalistic settings. Mm. There's one bit that's almost like – it didn't need to be as picturesque as it was, but when he gets out of NORAD, he hitches a ride with a trucker and he lands in the Right, of- right in the front of the big pretty mountain. Yeah, in front of this big beautiful mountain and there's, it's like the most beautiful part of Colorado and whatever. It didn't – yeah, it, it, so it was – it didn't need to be that pretty, but it was like they wanted to add in this beautiful we're out in nature shot. And it was – I'm pretty sure it was really shot there. There was no obvious, as far as I could tell, matte paintings or mm. anything like that. Go, no, no, that, I'm pretty it. sure you're right. Mm. I think that was uh, a lot of the legitimate. Ha- yeah, and a lot of ha- location hand- shot, handheld camera at times as well. There's a lot of when they run. There's a bit at the end with a helicopter on the island where there's only lit by a searchlight, and all you can see is them running around. And well, the director quite- has. I know he's done other things. Saturday I know Night I've seen Fever. his name on other things. He's done heaps of stuff. I looked him up. He's Saturday Night Fever. Okay, <laughs> among other things. Um, but he's done some really well-known stuff. He did. He also was on Psych, which is what's the first <laughs> Psych thing. Psych loves their 80s movies, people. Yeah. Um, we were talking before about Ali Sheedy's role on Psych was, I think, Mr. Yang. Yang. It's Yang. I just and then, and then her yeah. mentor was Mr. Yin, who was Peter Weller, who was right. more well known as Robocop. So, yeah. So, uh, John Badham, the director, has also, he was Saturday Night Fever, but mm-hmm. he also did uh, Nick of Time with Johnny Depp. And um, he's done a bunch of movies. He mostly works in television now. No, he did. I'm sure he did other 80s, 90s action right, movies. Right. I'm, I'm about sure to, he did. Yeah, yeah. He did Bird on the Wire. Bird on a Wire. Yeah. So I thought he did a good job. It was fun. Yeah, no, it was um, a good, good, fun little thing. It, yeah, I got the idea that they it looked cheap, but probably wasn't. Mm. Kind of, they, I think they spent a lot of money to make it look very natural. I think that was the aesthetic they were going for. I don't think it looked cheap. So, Natural, definitely, but the sets didn't look cheap. And no, the- um, yeah, that's what I mean. I think I think it was meant to look though as though it was documentary, a bit more documentary, a bit more natural. Right. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's supposed to look like you. Yeah, so it's more like realistic kind of thing. Realistic, yeah. They wanted no. you to believe that this could really happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, kind of an idea from- more than uh, um, uh, isn't this funny? Kind of. Yeah, fair. This goes back to the con- the idea earlier when, t- when I kind of tried to refer to it as a sci-fi, but it's really not. It's just a sci. <laughs> it's just a sci. Well, it is. <laughs> it is in fi. a sense. It's sci-fi because it takes. It's the what if. Yeah, it's kind of sci-fi. Speculative. Exactly. It's speculative fiction. Yeah. Um, where sense. they go, what if? What if some kid was able to do this? What would that entail? What? what yeah. Effect would that have? There's that whole kid outsmarts the adults mm-hmm. idea, which was very popular in the eighties. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, there's no – there's, like, one competent adult in this whole movie and they have to get him off his ass to get anything done. The parents are incompetent. The military is incompetent. To be fair, the two guys at the beginning were probably not that incompetent. They just, like, had different ideas about how to do their jobs. Well, I, they were in, well in fact, um, John Spencer's character is the opposite of incompetent because he was like, no, I need to confirm this order before well, I – Well, that yeah, but then in the military, you know, yeah. it's it's a different – yeah. That situation, and so perhaps they would consider Michael Madsen to be the more competent officer. But I think both of them, they just showed two different sides yeah. of what it means rather than being like not as good. And I got this very Cabin in the Woodsy vibe yeah. from that scene, opening scene, because there's just this real like natural conversation, just these two guys walking mm. in, and then suddenly it's bang, 
the end of the world. Sort yeah, of stuff. and again, it, it's it's situating it all of this big scary nuclear stuff in a very real place, mm-hmm. like. A kid, the, the kid who is smart enough to hack into the school and change his grades might just be smart enough to hack into the military. And well, of course, him. he doesn't know either. It's all he kind just of, thinks it's a game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, it's all very plausibly real. Yeah. Like, you can you can imagine sitting next to your co-worker and joking about the weather or, you know, get bitching with your other co-workers about how someone's always late or whatever. But then – and that's quite normal. But then their normal job is somebody ringing up wanting you to destroy – 20 million people. Yeah. Yeah, it's that, that kind of not real uh, scary normalcy. I'm sure there's, yeah. a, there's a word for it, but I can't think of it it's right It's an now. interesting thing too because it was something like – they gave the statistics and it was something like 23% of the men didn't turn the keys – Right. To, to set off their bombs and they thought that was an unacceptable risk and you're like, wow. Well, I, I would think that's uh, an excellent bit of judgment. But anyway, I feel like there is some word for where – is it like the banality of evil or something where where really big, bad, terrible things like letting off a nuclear weapon are actually grounded in real reality of like a real person who came to work and who might like be tired or hungry or grumpy or had a fight with his wife and not really got his eye on the ball and all the kinds of really normal things. Mm. I think, uh, yeah, I just think that's an there's interesting, this, interesting um, part of this. There's this whole fun thing. Where, because I watch QI and stuff, and I love learning about all of the ridiculous ideas they have had during world wars. Right. To like, to try and, that I was watching a QI about one of the major offensives in World War II was dropping porn. They would drop porn on places to like offend them and to throw them off their game. And the Germans would do it. And then the British were like, no, no, we're not going to do that. I'd rather lose the war than drop porn on people. <laughs> and that was like one of the major things. There's this other great oh. thing about how they trained a cat to be like a an eavesdropping cat. It had like a mic wired to it. And then as soon as they sent the cat out on its first assignment, the poor thing got hit by a car. <gasps> so they spent thousands oh. of dollars and all of this research and like training for the cat and then the cat died on its first assignment. Okay. F- there. Firstly, I'm very upset that the cat died. But mostly, how do you train a cat? Like, that <laughs> know, is that's some amazing, kind right? of special miracle. <laughs> yeah. I like- but yeah, it's, I just think I, I love learning about that sort of thing where they just right. – they. I mean, you sometimes you watch movies and you just go, this is ridiculous. There's no way that this is real. And then you discover the real yeah. things that people have done in war. And you're like, are you kidding me? So yeah, yeah. I just thought that was a fun anecdote. Um, yeah, and, and, and I love is, watching my QI. Right, and the, and this is probably a time when people were starting to become aware of this kind of stuff and mm. starting to really question if the people who had their finger on the you know metaphorical trigger really did know what the hell they were doing, or if they're just as stupid as we are. Right. Well, the eighties is actually sort of a time of you know excess and and capitalism and yep. um and not very progressive. But I suppose that's never going to be true of Hollywood. Yeah. Well, I mean, the thing about the eighties is there are certain things about the eighties that are quite progressive. The that's when you get the idea of individualism and identity politics starts to become a thing. So people start to identify and live openly as gay, or or, you know, proudly identify as disabled, or women have have gone into the workforce in massive numbers. So it's sort of one of those weird times where, and and we sort of see it a bit now as well, where. A lot of our public rhetoric and 
politics can be quite conservative, but mm. in the real world, what is happening in real people's lives is actually quite progressive. Like, yeah, I think we, people what, we, we hear a lot of rhetoric about you know women being at work being a bad thing. They went anyway, and the world didn't collapse, and they kept and they've continued to do so. Yeah, I think what what you see in the, in the eighties is like from the seventies you have all of the um, revolutionary sort of concepts and mm. uh, the the sexual revolution and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, and then what you see in the eighties is the backlash against that in terms of conceptually. Right, it's because eighties is like 70s was kind of like starting to get it was 60s and 70s these concepts were coming into play and then the 80s we actually see the implementation of it all well and of course the 80s is this is right at the beginning of aids and all kinds of things that start to make people think that we can't just be free and individual but it was still very much a time where people in spite of backlash and whatnot were still living in a very different way than they had 20 years earlier right Mm. so what you yeah you see i think that the thing you were talking about before, that contradiction between like what people say publicly and what people are doing yeah. in their real lives, that's part of that backlash where it's like there's a, a an ideological backlash against what the generation before you were doing where they were all um, hippies and, and, yeah. and against the war and all that yep. sort of stuff. And so the 80s became very um, conservative and militaristic and yeah. capitalist and, and, yeah, and, the, sort of and the decade of excess and all that sort of yep. stuff. And which is reflected, of course, in the movies and the fashion and everything's big and yeah. um, flashy and that sort of thing. Uh-huh. But also big concepts and yeah, that sort of That's idea. Right. And then uh, as opposed to like the real lives, which is interesting too when you look at movies from the 70s and 80s because the 70s is known as like, you know, one of the golden ages of of um, directors – Auteurs, auteurs, yep. Like directors being in control of everything and making these art movies. Right. And, and all these famous movies that have come down from the 70s are, like, are rated R now. Right. They're, they're full of sex and violence and all kinds of stuff that wouldn't have been, again, probably wouldn't have been allowed under the um, production code, which was in place up until about the 50s. I guess it's Hollywood sort of, yeah, Hollywood's always kind of got this progressive bent and it mm. always has and it always will have because it's always been run by people who are outsiders at the moment it's nerds it was once jews it was once ultra directors it's you know different people are in charge of hollywood at any given time but they're always kind of outsiders in some way and so they're always going to be probably at odds with um the mainstream what's mainstream yeah, I always think of it as 70s made good movies and the 80s made fun movies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is probably why I like so many 80s movies. And I'm That's not so that true. good on 70s movies. That is so true. Yeah. F- fun. There are, they are a lot of fun. A lot of the ones in the 70s like three hours long and you um, have lots of long lingering shots of train journeys and things like that. <laughs> and then they teach them in film school and you talk about them for ages and ages afterwards and all the implications and the societal yeah. messages and stuff. And then the 80s movies, you sit there and you're like, I really liked how that thing blew up. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> doesn't even have to be how that thing blew up. It can be like, now I'm, I was just thinking, because we did last week, we did um, Only Lovers, and I was thinking of Jim Jarmusch as being like the epitome of the guy who gets taught in film school for his lyrical, sensitive movies. But we watched his last movie and it was totally great fun. Yeah, mm. exactly. And then, yeah, there's... It's just this fun sort of dynamic, I suppose. I, I suppose we should just wrap up. <laughs> oh, yeah. How did you rate War Games? I'm torn between three and a half and four stars. I'll give it four stars. Cool. I'll give it three and a half. There we go. Thank we'll you very much. just even it out. Yay.
Thank you very much for listening to Silver Screen Queen's podcast. If you want to find out anything more about us or the show or read our show notes, you can do that at our website, which is silverscreenqueens.com. If you want to read Katie's review of this, which isn't even up yet, you can do that at her blog, silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com. I watched it last night. Give me a break. I know. I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Well, usually your review goes up way before we did the podcast. So I know. We only just watched this one. So mm. so anyway, if you do want to see read Katie's review, it'll be up soon at silverscreenqueen.wordpress.com If you want to get in touch with us, you can like our Facebook page and hang out with us there. You can follow us on Twitter at screen underscore queens or you can hang out with us on Tumblr tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com And there's so many Hiddles gifts this week because we did Only Lovers last week. We did Hiddles last week. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Melissa wishes. (laughs) We Yes, we did Only Lovers last week so it's it's been Hiddleston heavy over on Tumblr lately but yeah. Um, we we just mostly post nerdy stuff from movies we've watched or movies we like or actors we like or things we like. Yep. And it's lots of fun. So hang out with us there. Um, yeah, Silver Screen Queen. Uh, what is it? Tumblr.silverscreenqueens.com. Tumblr. Thanks very much for listening. Bye. Bye.